To open our Bibles, uh, to start out, we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. We're going to open up a little bit here because we're starting a new series today, and then we're going to move into uh, the, the meat of part one. And so Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 reads this, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God for these verses right here. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you to speak to us today. Jesus, we exalt your name in this place we, we ask, God, that you would just come and be with us, meet with us, help us to hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see. Lord, I ask that you would just speak through me and use me. Um, I am incapable of anything significant apart from you, Lord, completely and utterly dependent upon you. Even in these moments now as I'm speaking, I'm just so aware of my inability to go on with anything of transformational value to people apart from the anointing of your Holy Spirit, God. Would you, would you bring that today? Minister to us, each and every heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, these verses are, are wonderful, encouraging verses. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Everybody wants that renewed strength. We like that. To renew means to have new growth or fresh sprouts. So it's like a fresh growth, a fresh strengthening in our spirit man and in our faith. Everybody knows we need that regularly, right? Going to be renewed. He says those that wait upon the Lord will experience this. And then he goes through three different expressions of a mode of action or a speed, let's say, of movement. He talks about flying, he talks about running, and he talks about walking. Let's look at that, because each one of those three speeds or modes of action indicate uh, something different. When we're flying, let's say there's a plane flying or a bird flying, might be at a very high altitude, very high elevation, going very, very fast, covering large spanses of time very quickly. Things are beautiful when we're up at 10,000 feet, let's say, in elevation, looking over the landscape. It's breathtaking. You see these vast expanses of oceans or mountains or plains. It's a beautiful sight. Would you agree? We talk about running, and so we're picturing, obviously, our feet on the ground, and we're running quickly and moving, obviously not as fast as if we're flying, and then we see walking, slowing down a leisurely stroll. This is what I have found, is that all three of these types of seasons are beautiful in their time. That the Lord has times where we're running, He has times where we're walking, He has times where we're flying, and it's embracing each of those seasons in their time where we see the beauty in them. But if you're like me, I'm not afraid to admit this, I'm particularly fond of the flying seasons. I like the high-speed, fast-paced, busy things happening, on-the-go, moving, building, shaking kind of times. I love it. Anybody else that way? A few people? All right, a couple crazies like me. That's great. So when I find myself being brought into a season where it feels more like a run or even worse sometimes a walk, my flesh is fighting and screaming. 
But here's the important point that I want us to get, and I think the, the Lord's really showed me this too, is that yes, there are things at 10,000 feet in elevation that you can see and experience and accomplish that you can't accomplish when you're on the ground walking. But sometimes the Lord needs to slow us down and actually bring us down from those higher elevation seasons and actually bring us down where our feet are on the ground. We begin to run and then even begin to walk at a leisurely slower pace. Why is that? I think it's because when we're walking, we are able to see things and pick things up Let's just say that the Lord would show us and reveal to us that is not privy to our vantage point when we're up at 10,000 feet in elevation. I mean, when I'm walking slowly on the sidewalk, I can pick out the cracks in the sidewalk where the little grass kind of springs up every now and then, and you see the weeds there too. You see where all of the little imperfections and cracks might be. I, I can't see that at 10,000 feet. And if we're honest, when God can bring us down to a walk, if we're open and allow Him to, He can show us things, reveal things to us that are these little hairline cracks or fractures maybe in our lives that He wants to adjust, He wants to rectify and fix so that we are adequately prepared and ready when God takes us back up, not just to 10,000 feet, but to higher elevations, maybe 30,000 feet than where we were before. Y'all following my demonstration here? I mean, whenever we come down to a ground level, we can begin to see the cracks in the fuselage of the plane that might have been withstanding at 10,000 feet in elevation, but that will entirely come apart at 30,000 feet when the pressure increases exponentially. What is God saying? Is God saying, yes, I, I have great and mighty things for you that you don't know. I have higher levels and seasons of impact and influence I want to take you to, but there's times that where I have to bring you down to a walk and to kind of slow your pace to help you see things, maybe in your character, maybe in your, your faith and your spiritual integrity that we need to adjust and fix so that when we go back up to this next season, you really are ready and you don't come apart under the pressure. And I don't know, have you ever felt like you were in a season that was almost like a delay or a walk or slow, where you felt like, I, I want to be running, I want to be flying, but for whatever reason, I find myself in this place where it's more like I'm walking. Maybe the question isn't, when can I run? Maybe the question is, God, what do you want to show me right now that I need to see? So that as the Bible says that all of us are adequately prepared or fitted, that the man of God, it says, may be perfect and complete, ready for every good work in its time. We, we need to be fitted and ready for all of the future pressures and journeys that God has mapped out and planned for us already that he sees and knows. So let's look at this time where perhaps we're in delays or we're carrying in a season longer than we anticipated, and ask, God, what are you trying to show me that I need to know? Maybe my ability to learn that lesson, to get that revelation, is a key indicator to when we'll be ready to ascend again to greater speeds and greater levels of pressure. 
To much is given, much is required. We think we can handle more, but God knows what we're ready to handle, and He'll allow us to go through things that will strengthen us and prepare us that we can handle more for what's up ahead. And so this series that we're beginning today is called Campfires. Campfires. The reason we're calling it this is when you are, let's say, going through a, a hiking trip or a camping trip. Anybody ever do that before? Anybody else ever in scouts? or like I was in Boy Scouts when I was younger. We'd take these hiking trips. And you'd hike for miles, and you'd eventually get to your campsite where you would break camp for the night, maybe for a couple of days before you picked up on your journey again. But there were also places along the way and the hike and the trail where you'd just stop and take a little breather, get a drink of water, pick up, and then move right on. Now, those times are obviously important and appropriate, but what I learned is that when you move right through a place, you aren't as quick and attentive to all of the things in your surroundings that you can learn from and pick up on. You kind of just move in and then you move out. But then when you come to a place where you're going to set up camp, you're going to break camp and make a fire, all of a sudden you begin to think about things that you didn't think about in the short stop. You think, I wonder where I'm going to get water from. I, I wonder where I can go get some firewood from. I want to make sure there's no bears around. <laughs> you know, you think about things in your surrounding and your setting because you're staying a while, because you're breaking camp and making a fire. And so we're going to look through the next couple of weeks at some different stories, different places in the Bible where people would come along and they were seemingly delayed. Seemingly delayed longer than they anticipated. They stayed a while. And in the staying, instead of just the quick passing through, there are some lessons that I think we can really draw from that God was able to show them in the Bible. And perhaps if we're willing and open to hear this, that maybe God wants to show us now in a time or a season where he might be slowing us down in a particular area of our lives to, to reveal some things so that we can learn some things that will adequately prepare us for the next season where we get moving faster again and under more pressure. So let's go first to the book of Genesis. And today being week one in this series is going to be about Bethel. Part one is Bethel. So let's read starting in verse 10. It says, Jacob went out from Beersheba, and he went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and then stayed there all night, because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Anybody like me think, like, man, a rock is not a good pillow. Like, I would have grabbed like a bushel of leaves, or I don't know, anyway, but... Verse, <laughs> inconsequential. Verse 12, so then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Anyone ever heard the phrase or the term Jacob's ladder before? So this is where that comes from. We're going to dig into this today. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. 
Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a repeating of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise right there. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, that rock really hurt my head. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob arose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I shall come back to my father's house in peace, the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. Wow. So I love right here, first thing I want to pull out is Jacob says, wow, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. Now, Jacob didn't have preliminary plans to stop in Bethel. It wasn't part of his trip itinerary. In fact, if we're really looking at the story properly, we'll find that Jacob is actually running from something. He's fleeing from something that he's scared of and he's running out of fear of danger, and he gets to this place that was called Luz that he renames Bethel. I'd love to rename a city too. Anybody ever like, like these guys just rename cities like it's nothing. No, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. So he gets to this place. He says, God's surely here. I didn't know it before. God is in the place where I was delayed, where I hung out a while, that I wasn't really planning on being in before, if I'm being honest. And can I just say it to you like this? Wherever you find yourself in a time of delay or what seems like a season of walking instead of running or flying, that God is very much in that place as well, and He wants you to see and recognize that for yourself. He's there with us wherever we go. Jacob renames this city based on this experience that he had, and the experience is marked a lot by this dream that he had overnight while he was delayed. And this dream, Jacob's ladder, is a dream of angels that are actually climbing down and climbing back up. It says descending and ascending on this ladder or stairway that's basically joining the two realms of heaven and earth. There's a powerful picture here that there are two realities at play all the time. There's the natural, physical world that we live and walk in, but yet there's also a spiritual world that is at play that our eyes do not naturally see, but that if we walk by faith, we acknowledge, and the key for the believer is that we walk more in tune and more aware with the realities of the spiritual world of God's kingdom than we do with this earthly world that's temporal, this kingdom that we are on here in the world. Does that make sense? 
And so Jacob sees that these two are intersecting, they're connecting. And I think one of the important lessons to draw out of this is that we see that God is always involved in the affairs of men. He's not a distant God that's far away from us and unreachable. He is all-powerful and all-present, but He is near and close, and He calls us friend. Isn't that beautiful? And He's saying here that these angels are coming up and going down, and they're, they're involved. God is dispatching them, and He is moving things in the spiritual realm to assist Jacob in the calling and in the promise that He has for him on his life. I don't know about you, but it just blows me away, and I think it will always blow me away, as long as I am alive, that God is moving things around in heaven. He's dispatching angels and sending them on assignments to assist me in the calling and destiny that He has for me on my life. And I walk as much as I can in the awareness and in the reality that those forces are at play even while I walk in this natural world. The Bible tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, present rulers of present darkness that are at work in this age. Our ability to know that and to walk according to that is key in exerting the authority that God wants us to have in our lives. I also see here that God speaks in dreams. Anybody else thankful for that besides me? God speaks to us in different ways, but He speaks through dreams. God speaks to my mom in dreams. She has very powerful dreams, and she'll call me up and tell me a little bit about it, and sometimes it's you know, a little mysterious, not sure what it means. Other times we feel like there's some clear messages God's sending. There are times later on down the road, months or years later, where we'll be like, oh my gosh, do you remember that dream from before? And here it is actually playing out now before our eyes. Makes complete sense to me because the prophet Joel said in chapter 2 that there will come a time where I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Mom's having dreams. She's old. I mean, it's theologically correct. I'm kidding. I'm still seeing visions. Pastor Mike, you're not dreaming dreams yet, are you? All right. Crossing over there. But God is speaking in this moment, and I want you to see that Jacob stops in this place that he didn't plan on stopping, and that's what gives God the occasion and the opportunity to do this work while he's here, in this kind of moment of camping out overnight. I want to show you a few points that I think are some really important spiritual principles, some precepts that are necessary for us as believers to really know, to get revelation on, and to walk victoriously in faith in our lives, in our journey, wherever it is that God may be taking each of us in our purpose that He has for our lives uniquely. Number one is, He is always first. He's always first. Now, I spent a decent amount of time last week in our message speaking about the preeminence of God, and so I'm going to touch on this a little bit and kind of move on, uh, but it's very important. I, I feel like you still have to hit this in this message. You see, Jacob makes a, a vow to God while he's here, and that vow is that he's going to give him 
one-tenth of everything God blesses him with. So what we see is we see this idea introduced, this concept of the tithe, the first fruits. God's going to get the first and the best of everything that I have, and then he is going to bless the rest. You say, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. It's tithing. But here's what's interesting. The concept of tithing under the law was not given for another 500 years to Moses in the wilderness. This pre-exists the law introducing tithing. So why is that a big deal? Here's why. Jacob chose to put God first in his life, not because a rule was introduced, because he got a revelation of who God was. And when we get a revelation of who God is, and our heart explodes with trust in him, folks, I'm just telling you, there's nowhere that you want to put him except for first in every area of your life. And when he is first, it's only then that everything else is blessed because it falls in its proper order. If we get that out of whack and God's not first, he's competing with some other position, trying to jockey him around and fit him in, and we want to have other things as its equal priority, and God says, I, I, I can't put my hand to that. I won't bless that. I can be, I'm first and I'll only be first. And until then, everything will be dysfunctional about our lives. Listen, I'll say it like this. He needs to be first in your relationships. You're dating, your marriage, whatever it is, he needs to be first. You've got to do it God's way if you want it to be blessed. He needs to be first in our finances. He needs to be first in our career, our pursuits, our, our relationship with our children, our communities, everything. He's got to be number one. What God says is the ultimate authority. And when our hearts put him there, like Jacob got this revelation of who God was, he responds to God's goodness and God's grace by saying, I have no other conclusion that I would come to except for God deserves to be first in my life. Not because God introduced a rule, but because Jacob got a revelation of who God was. And so I pray today that we're getting a revelation of who God is and that we're responding in a decision in our heart willingly to put him first because we trust him and him alone to be in that place in our lives. So that's number one is that he's always first. Number two is that the heavens are open. The heavens are open. You might have heard it said this way, we live under an open heaven. This is a powerful principle to think about because if the heavens are open, then that means that not only is God dispatching things from the heavenly realm into our lives, but we also have access, spiritually speaking, into the heavenly realm to go and seek and petition God as well. When the heavens are open, things can transfer back and forth freely. One day we were here at the office and uh, pulled up in the morning. It was a beautiful day, sunny, and I had my sunroof down in my car and just enjoying the wind in my hair on the way in, you know, and loving the day. It's still there. I just I'm hanging on for as long as I can. Anyway, I came out. <laughs> Pastor guy, that was not a, uh, anything intended at you. <laughs> Wasn't looking at you funny there. Uh, I came out after the day was over. It was night, and didn't even think about it. But it had poured down rain for like a couple hours in the afternoon. And so I got in my car. Didn't even think. Sat down, and I mean, I sat right in a puddle. It just soaked by legs and pan, everything, water everywhere. And so when the window is open, <laughs> things can get in from above. 
And this is a powerful reality that we need to understand is that we live under an open heaven, that God is very much with us and near us and wants to be involved in assisting us in the outworking of our destiny. In fact, we can't accomplish that to any degree in our own strength. It's only when God is involved in assisting us in that that we can walk this path out that he's preordained for us. There's a vision that John has in Revelation, chapter 4, where he sees a vision of the throne room. There's a lot to take in in this story, but one thing I want you to note here is that when John sees the vision of the throne room, the door to the throne room or the window or the gate is open. There's direct access. The book of Hebrews says that we can come, because of the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. Wow. To know that we live and walk under an open heaven, folks, is a powerful revelation that we get because then we understand that these two realms are not separated at all, that God actually wants to introduce the realities of the heavenly kingdom into our worldly reality and overwhelm those things with the greater reality. And we have the ability to walk more according to the kingdom of heaven than in line with the kingdom of this world. Strong, faith-filled believers walk with an alignment and a consistency that's more in tune with heaven than with this world. Does that make sense? And Jacob sees this picture, God's showing him this vision that, hey, angels are coming up and down this ladder and there's direct access back and forth here between me and you. And Jesus comes along later in the New Testament, and he says something that I believe is kind of a direct outworking of Jacob's dream. It's in chapter 1 of John, verse 51. I'll read it to you in the Passion Translation. I think this will emphasize the point well. Jesus says, I prophesy to you eternal truth. From now on, you will see an open heaven and gaze upon the Son of Man like a stairway reaching into the sky with the messengers of God climbing up and down upon him. So the one thing that seems to shift a little bit in this prophetic word that Jesus gives from Jacob's dream is that Jesus makes it a point to explain that he is the ladder that it's Jesus that actually makes the way and provides the free access back and forth between our lives and the realities of a heavenly kingdom. He says the Son of Man is the ladder, and those angels are descending and ascending upon it. And so when we come to Christ, folks, we don't just come and embrace a Savior, we come and we embrace a mediator. You understand, the Bible says He is our mediator in heaven, and he is making intercession for us. And so it's because of our relationship in Christ that we can know and walk according to this reality that a child of God lives under an open heaven. Everybody say open heaven. Hallelujah. So Jacob, he goes along a little ways after this experience, this dream in chapter 28. And he spends the next 20 years, because he's been running, in a place called Aram. And in Aram, he goes over and decides he's going to take a wife, but things get a little complicated, and he ends up with two wives and then two concubines and 12 children. 
So figure this one out. But he's got this situation going on in Aram where he's there 20 years, and then he decides he's going to come back to this area of Bethel and this promised land of Canaan that God has given him and his lineage. And when he's on his way, God says something to him in chapter 31, verse 13. It's interesting, right? 20, chapter 28 to chapter 31 is a 20-year period of time. We can read it in 30 seconds. It took 20 years to get here. So put up thirty-one thirteen. It says, God says this to Jacob as he's returning. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. So I love this. He reminds him of the vow that he made to put him first. But he says, I'm the God of Bethel. Now, I've passed by this many times and never really caught this, but it jumped out at me this particular time. Because when Jacob named the place Bethel, as opposed to Luz, which is the Canaanite city, Bethel means house of God. Beth-el. Beth means house. El or Elohim is God. So he says he named it Bethel, house of God. Well, he's coming back, and God says, I am the God of Bethel, which means, translated, I am the God of the house of God. I don't know if that grabs you. That gets my attention. That's interesting. And so you dig into that, and I think what the Lord is saying to Jacob is, Jacob, one of the things that you seem to think when you got this picture of this dream at Bethel is that I was God in this place. But what I'm trying to tell you and show you is that I'm God everywhere in your life. I'm not just God by proximity I'm God enveloping every part of your destiny. And I was God in Bethel, but I'm God in Aram, and I'm God everywhere you go. And if you get a revelation of who I am, and you see me for who I am, then you will begin to see me everywhere you go. And folks, I just can't stress enough how much we need to be able to gaze upon and look upon the face of God and know that He is always with us and present with us in every peak or mountaintop, but also in every valley. He's there with us in the flying seasons, but He's right there next to us in the running seasons, and He's also there walking alongside of us in the walking seasons as well as God and friend. And when we know Him that way, our whole lives begin to get soaked and saturated with the goodness and the presence and the grace of God. Not just moments and seasons, but every part of our life is being affected by who He is to us and His presence in our lives each day. And so the last point that I want to make is this, is only by His grace. Only by His grace. God says something to Jacob here in verse 15. Let's put that up. He says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I love this because this verse, God really stresses his intention for completion in the promise. You get that. God is a finisher. He's a finisher. He's an author and he's a finisher. And he says that if he begins a good work in us, then he intends to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
And folks, there's, there's times in our lives where we're going to have to learn this powerful lesson. Where we have to stand firm on a promise and lean back and rest in God's grace while He performs it. Does that make sense? We have to stand on a promise for however long we're supposed to stand and rest in His grace while He performs it. God's making this abundantly clear to Jacob. He's saying, and paraphrasing, Jacob, you can't do this on your own. You're only going to accomplish this through me. And I intend to bless you and to keep you, which means to protect you, watch over you. And Jacob, I, I fully intend, as long as you stay in my hands and you stay fixed on me, I fully intend to finish this thing, to complete this thing that I promised to you that I was beginning. You don't have to do this on your own, Jacob. But Jacob is found guilty of two different types of action here that I think if we're honest, we would say we've all been at one or the other, maybe both at different points in our lives, maybe even now, where the first thing that Jacob did that kind of would jeopardize what God's promise to complete it in his strength was, is that Jacob tried to run out of fear. Okay, the whole beginning of chapter 28 and how he arrives in Bethel is because he's running from his brother Esau. He's scared that Esau is going to kill him. And he's fleeing from him to the other side of the wilderness. And we got to realize, no decision that we ever make that's motivated by fear is a godly decision. Say that again. No decision made out of fear is a godly decision. It gets us outside of the trust of God being our protector. Jacob's afraid that Esau is going to kill him, and he, he forgets that God can protect him from this thing if he's got a plan and a purpose for his life. Do you get that? So he wants to run. But the other thing that Jacob does is that he tries to force. So we have flee or force, fight or flight, we'll call it. And now Jacob is in a moment where he tried to force something. So it's important that God stresses this to, to Jacob, that he's going to do it by his grace, and Jacob can't do it on his own, because Jacob is not only running, but he just got done trying to force something that he never had to force to begin with. And what he had done is he so much wanted the blessing from his father Isaac, and it had already been promised years ago. God said, the older will serve the younger. Now, Jacob probably didn't know how that was going to play out or how that was going to work, but there was a promise that God made. Jacob didn't have to force anything to get the blessing that God had for him, but he felt like he did. And so when Isaac was old and he couldn't see really well, he goes into his room and he makes a, a stew because Esau was a hunter. So Jacob says, I'm going to go get a goat out of the flock. While Esau is gone, we're going to sneak in and we're going to manipulate our father to get a blessing. And he goes and he kills a goat, he makes a stew, and he's going to go in and bring the stew in and act like he's Esau. Then he realizes, oh my gosh, my brother is a hairy man. And when my father puts his hands on me to bless me, he's going to feel my smooth skin. He's going to know that I'm not Esau. 
So he does the only logical thing that you would think to do. He glues goat's hair to the back of his neck and the back of his hands so that when his father puts his hands on him, he will be deceived and think that he is Esau. And he's doing all this treachery to get the blessing. Do you see that? He's trying to force this thing that he has no need to force to begin with. I actually did a little bit of research and a little bit of digging. I know photographs haven't been around for very long, but there's some ancient images of Jacob after he went in to see Isaac. I'm just kidding. That's really Pastor Mike. So, <laughs> he tries to force this thing. Oh, listen, if we're not careful, even when God makes a promise for us in our lives, and he intends to see it through, we're not careful, we can unintentionally slip into this place where we begin to try and force the blessing that God wants to bring us in due time. And as a result, we will, much like Jacob's father Isaac did, produce an Ishmael out of that season that will forever be a thorn in the side of the work that God's trying to do in and through us. It's only by His grace that these things can come to pass. Are you with me? Here's what's beautiful. I don't know if this sets you free like it sets me free, but I don't have to do it on my own. I actually can rest in His grace and trust in him and let him do the work that I can never do on my own anyway. Because here's the deal. If God's grace is with us, then everything will be blessed. But if God's grace is not with us, then it doesn't matter how good we are in our own strength. It'll never be enough. Ever. And I've thought to myself, as I begin to wrap this up today, I've thought to myself before when I've read this story I've been just a little like wrestled with it, I guess, where it was like, okay, God made this promise to Jacob. He intended on doing this thing and finishing this work, but yet Jacob still got away with it. Like he still tricked Isaac and Isaac blessed him instead of Esau by mistake. He still ran away from Esau. He still ran away from his father. And I, I thought to myself like, it, but it worked though, God, but it worked. But then I'm like, no, that's... Theologically, that can't be right because forcing and fleeing is never a method that actually flows in the rhythm of God's grace. I know that can't be true, but it just seems like it worked. And then God showed me something. He said, no, Matt, that's not the point. The point of this story is that my grace is good enough to cover up your mess. That's the point of this story. And I said I would finish and perform the work. And because Jacob continued to reorient his heart back to me and put me first, my grace was good enough to cover up the messes that he made and still see him through to the promise and the destiny that I had planned for him. And can I tell you something, folks? That's the message of the gospel right there. Do you see the forerunner to the gospel? That's the message of the gospel is that we are born into this world, all of us, in a condition of sin that we are unable to escape from apart from some atoning work. 
And Jesus comes along and he does that atoning work. And by his blood, a way is now made for God in the heavenly realm to dispatch all of his grace upon our lives, not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because the blood of Jesus makes us worthy. And that grace now covers up the mess of sin in our lives and removes it. I think that's the point of this whole story. Are you in a season of delay? Are you in a time of walking and slowing down? Are you in a place where maybe it feels like you're stalled out and everything in you says that I need to be running or flying right now, but for whatever reason, God hasn't moved this thing on yet. I I wonder, maybe, is God trying to show us a lesson that we need to know so that we're prepared for the higher elevations that He wants to take us to? But here's the risk. The challenge will be, will we run from our problems when they come? Because it won't be easy. Or will we try to force our hand to rush this thing and to push this thing through prematurely? If we can sit back and recognize that God has made a promise over his children and he intends to see it through, God's invitation is sit back, stand on that promise by faith, and rest in my grace while I perform. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet.